Arsenal Ophil. Marca Mesut Ophil. Corner. Llegó el gol de Olivier Giroud. Marca el Arsenal. Marca Olivier Giroud. Gol de los Gunners. This is Arscast Extra. Hello there and welcome to another Arscast Extra, as always, with James from Gunnarblog. A goodly Halloween to you. <laughs> spooky morning. Yes, indeed, a spooky yeah. morning. Yeah. Uh, have there been any Halloween festivities around your way that you've partaken in? Uh, no, not yet. Not yet. I mean, not that I will either. Uh, I'm a bit old for all that, you know. But uh, sure. I, I think the... Uh, The kids will call to the door later uh, of the neighborhood, begging for sweets and chocolate, and, uh, mm. you know, we'll just set the dog on them. Yeah, of course. <laughs> Tricks only at your house. Yes, yes. Uh, you know, unless your treat is being slobbered on by a gigantic German shepherd, you know, which is fine. Lots yeah, of people well, like that. that's fine. Mm. Exactly, whatever your bag happens to be. Yeah. Um, yeah, I was out in London this weekend, and it right. was obviously distressing I mean, it is like a kind of zombie apocalypse, the Halloween weekend. When Actually, you yeah. yeah. Yesterday, we were walking into town, and a guy walked out of a bar. This was two o'clock in the afternoon, and I looked at him and went, holy shit, what mm. the fuck happened to that guy? Because he had, like, this really quite cool makeup on, so it looked yeah. like his face had been, like, sliced open, and, there was, and then I was like, oh, yeah, phew. It's like a fancy dress thing, but he was sort of half zombie-ish, half like destroyed face thing. It was a bit, bit odd. Yeah, well, this is it. Late night in London, you you, you can't separate fiction from reality. Yeah. But uh, <laughs> anyway, thus far, I, I haven't dressed up as anything. You'll be you'll be relieved to know. Uh, it's not an image anyone needs to see, is it? Well, yeah, you didn't even dress up as your yourself. Put on the old no, grey. I've just been naked all weekend. <laughs> <laughs> the grey tracksuit pants, the old J Train logo. There. I'm sure a few people have gone as that to various Halloween parties, <laughs> but I, I'm not including myself in that. Yes, yes. Fair enough, fair enough. So, a good weekend, generally. It was the Dublin Marathon here yesterday. Oh, really? Yeah. Did you did you watch from the sidelines? No, I ran it. No. Did you? No. No, I didn't. <laughs> <laughs> I did, I did uh, go along to cheer on a, a couple of mates who were running in it. So uh, the 16-mile mark was just up the road from my house. So we went out and uh, cheered them on, gave them a few high fives as they were going, get get that boost for the final 10 miles. I think they said so that. way. Was, yeah, that, that's what. It's all down to you. Yeah, yeah. I think we, we basically were, uh, we did all the hard work. You know, they just had yeah. to run. And, you know, we were there to cheer them on. But, no, it was, a, it was a good day. Great atmosphere, actually. It was brilliant to see all the people out there cheering on all the runners, 19,000-something people running for 26 miles, 385 yards. The absolute lunatics. Did you uh, – did it make you think, oh, I fancy giving that a crack? No. No. Um, <laughs> I mean, <laughs> just no. Definitely not. It's too long. Right. Far too long for me. You know, four hours, four and a half hours of, of running – You know, I'm sure it's a great achievement and everything else, but the amount of training you have to do and then you have to do the thing, no, no, just definitely not for me. I yeah, couldn't. I, I think I'm inclined to agree. Yeah, yeah. So look, it's been a, it's been a pretty good weekend. Um, you know, apart from zombie apocalypse being upon us and uh, crazy people running very far, uh, but, mm. but generally speaking, it's been a good weekend from from an Arsenal point of view. 
Yeah, very good weekend. I mean, I guess the the zombies are the Sunderland defence. Am I right? Oh yeah, <laughs> nicely done. <laughs> and the marathon runners, Mohamed El Nenny in the Arsenal midfield, <laughs> covering all the ground. Um, yeah, really good weekend. I mean, uh, well, I say that I don't know about the broader results. I mean, look, I enjoyed Manchester United failing to win again. That was good. I, you know, I, I, there's part of me that's enjoying it. And there's another part of me that's going, we're playing them in a few weeks' time, and I'm not, I just uh, can't, I can't co- commit to fully enjoying it already, you know, uh, until such time as we get a result against them and against him, there's just this nagging doubt in the back of my mind. Like, there's part of me going, I really should be just, like, taking it as it comes and enjoying it for what it is in the moment without contextualizing it in, in an Arsenal context, right? But then mm-hmm. there's just this nagging doubt this thing like somehow he'll manage to make something happen against us and you know obviously I hope that doesn't yeah yeah I hope that doesn't get but I suppose in the very short term we can we can enjoy it the fact he was sent off as well that was funny yeah, lovely to see. Mm. Really was, but I, I think you you are right. I mean, we all remember what happened when Arsenal played David Moyes' Manchester United, and we sort of failed to beat them over mm. the course of two games. So, yeah, I mean, I guess uh, some some pause for consideration there. But apart from that, it was uh, a good weekend. And Arsenal, I mean, beat what uh, one of the worst teams I've seen in a while in the Premier League. Yeah, yeah. Sometimes you can look at a team and go. Yeah, there's probably a reason why the results aren't going their way. Maybe they've been a bit unlucky or maybe they're missing some key players or you can see just they're not getting the rub, the rub of the green. You know that there's mm. some potential there. There's the possibility that things might get better. And you look at that Sunderland team, that collection of players, and it's just like, oh, you're you're fucked. Like, there's no yeah. way around it. You're They're completely fucked. And I don't even think it's all to do with, with Moyes, to be perfectly honest. Uh, you know, he has shown himself to be... A, a competent manager, if not a brilliant manager, but generally speaking, a fairly competent Premier League manager. And you look at those players and you think, fuck, there's just no way. They, I mean, half of them didn't give a shit, you know? No, I mean, that doesn't help uh, when you just sort of can't be bothered to try or run. Mm. But also when you look at the, the 11, 1 to 11, I mean, it's not good, is it? I mean, it's very rare that you can look at a Premier League side and say, that's not a very good team. There's, yeah. You know, because there's a lot of good footballers in this division now. Even in the lower reaches, there's some really top players. But when you look at Sunderland, I mean, you can't really see any that stand out. No, you look at it, yeah, it's like a team of absolute journeymen, isn't it? And I was looking at the bench and, yeah. and I was thinking, well, do they have anything on the bench that might causes a problem and you're Victor and each you're going Jesus mm. God you know yeah. he's, <laughs> he's just like this is his life this this is what he is now just a football player and not that there's anything wrong with that but you know it's like oh man you're, if you're a Sunderland yeah. fan you'd be so downhearted wouldn't you because it just you, you can't see how it's going to get any better no, no. I mean, they've got some players. They've got a player called Love on the bench and a player called Gooch, which I enjoyed. Love Gooch. Uh, but, <laughs> yeah, Love Gooch. But yeah, they. Uh, I mean, they, they're done for, aren't they? I mean, they're two points. It's got two points all season from mm. ten games. It would take something truly remarkable. I know there's talk about Fat Sam waiting in the wings and what have you, but I don't think even he would be able to haul them from to safety. Oh, really? Time. There's some talk about Allardyce coming back. Yeah, yeah. Yeah, yeah. yeah, but I mean, how much are Sunderland fans going to enjoy that? The guy who walked out on them, you know, to go to, to England. 
Um, I mean, well, I, I guess I guess they'd understand that, you know. But I mean, you get like I said, you get someone like David Moyes in, and you would think, okay, chances are he could get this team to like the middle of the bottom half of mid table, if that makes sense. Mm-hmm. You would mm-hmm. think, but no, they're they're just terrible. And typically, we sort of we let them back into it in a way. Um, well, that was the sort of frustrating thing. I mean, when so we scored obviously in the first half, mm-hmm. a brilliant goal, a goal I really enjoyed. Yeah, uh, I hear a goal that you are at least partially responsible, a bit like the marathon, partially responsible for. Yes, yeah. Actually, yeah, because there was a bit on Friday's Arscast where I was saying, if I were talking to Alex Oxlade-Chamberlain, I would tell him, you know, don't cross it all the way to the other side of the, the pitch, you know, towards the other corner flag, put it in a more dangerous area, you know, between the six-yard uh, box and the penalty spot, whip it in there with some pace, and lo and behold, that's exactly what he did. And uh, Alexis Sanchez was there to, to make the most of that cross. A great cross, a great move, uh, lots of passes in the move, uh, a great cross from Oxlade-Chamberlain, a great header from Alexis Sanchez, but abject, abject defending. Like, if you were if you were that centre-half, you'd probably just say, fuck, sorry, I'm, ret- I'm retiring. I, you yeah. know, that's a, yeah, over for me now. Um, he yeah. was terrible. So, without wanting to take anything away from uh, the quality of the goal that we scored, it really was dreadful defending. Yeah, he just let Sanchez run across him completely and head it pretty much unchallenged, mm. which is crazy given, you know, the fact they were both in the penalty box. But I always get a kick out of Alexis scoring a header. There's something about the fact that he's not the biggest guy mm. and the way the way he's got that spring, and he's he's pretty pretty good in the air for someone of his size. So I always enjoy those. Yeah, he does score a few headers, all right, doesn't he? Yeah, yeah. yeah. Um, so, but anyway, at that stage, really, the gulf was about as wide as it ever gets in the Premier League. Mm. And Arsenal, you know, should have put the game to bed. I'm trying to think if we had clear-cut chances we should have yeah, scored. Yeah, there was Mesut Ozil's one where the ball ah, yeah. uh, was played over the top again beautifully by Alex Oxlade-Chamberlain. And uh, he had the, the chance to, to lob the keeper, but under-hit the, under-hit the lob a bit. Um mm. Mm. So well, that, I wonder if the the bounce of the pitch was a little bit of an issue for him. I think it maybe came up a little close to him, and yeah. that was a, a problem throughout the whole game. Sunderland didn't water the pitch, and it it later cost us, I suppose, with their equaliser, Mustafi yeah. um, slipping up. Well, so. true, actually, yeah. And I noticed that from the very start. I think I even said it in the live blog, is that it, the pitch looks extremely slow. So Arsenal yeah. were passing the ball, and the ball was like, you know, trickling along the pitch. Um uh, and I guess teams are fully entitled to do what they want with their own pitch. You know, when you're playing a team that, that thrives on slick passing and moving the ball quickly, if you can do something to to uh, to prevent that to a certain extent, then why wouldn't you? Especially if you were Sunderland and you're in, in the kind of position they're in. But yeah, it definitely had a, an effect, um, had an effect on the equaliser. But of course, before that, we should have had a penalty when Alexis Sanchez uh, burst through ahead of, I think it was uh, your pal, wasn't it, Jilibaji? Um, <laughs> who who hauled him down, and I, I just don't understand why that wasn't a penalty. No. I, I mean, what was the referee's view of it like? What was the angle like? Uh, do you know off the top of your head? I mean, I'm guessing he was looking at... Sanchez would have been the far side of um, Gilabogi. Yeah. Uh, so whether he saw it was the left hand of the of the defender. So whether he saw it, or I, I don't know. It, it looked like he had a pretty good view of it, uh, albeit, you know, looking at it sort of slightly side on, but uh, nailed on penalty. And of course, it's very frustrating when you have missed chances 
uh, and you are maybe struggling to put the game to bed when something like that happens and then they go up the other end and score immediately afterwards. It's like, oh, God, here we go. Here yeah. we go. Well, I think that compounded the frustration, didn't it? I mean, it was literally one end to the other uh, mm. and they got the penalty kick. I mean, I agree entirely we should have had a spot kick and that could have settled the game then and there. Any complaints at all about the award for the Sunderland penalty? No, no, it was a foul. Yeah. It was a foul by Jack, and I think, you know, we've twice now we've been, I won't say lucky, but maybe last last year that would have been a red card for Petr Cech. Oh, I think definitely, yeah. I think there's been one of those much-discussed directives mm. <laughs> about that particular type of incident. And I wonder if Cech knew that as well, do you know what I mean? I wonder if he thought, oh, I'll take my chances. Yeah. Um, because he, he sort of made it look as if he was ducking out of the challenge by turning his shoulder but the contact was <laughs> was there there very much there nonetheless and uh yeah Jermaine Defoe uh put, put the penalty away Czech had done his homework went mm. the same way as Defoe's last few but Czech put it down the middle and I was absolutely fuming at that point in the game <laughs> really gone yeah, mad yeah because yeah, because uh, I was so frustrated that a side had been so short of us in terms of quality and even possession, you know, barely in the game was suddenly level. Mm. I felt like we'd really allowed them back in. And generally, in that scenario, when a home team, I mean, Arsene Wenger's talked about this in the aftermath of the game, when a home team comes back to equalise, most of the time, they're the ones who are going to go on and win that, you know, because yeah. they've got the momentum, they've got the crowd. But fortunately... Sunderland are a special case. <laughs> yeah, I mean, I did. I, mean, I think everybody probably would have been worried. I mean, there was still plenty of time to go, but we've been in this scenario before where we've dominated a game and all of a sudden we're, we're level when we should have been miles ahead. And uh, it, it does have an effect, I think, on the players. Um, you know, they've been through it enough times. But Arsene Wenger spoke after the game about character. Uh, he spoke about the ability of his team to bounce back from a, a disappointing result, which was the game against Borough the previous weekend, and then mm -hmm. the disappointment of um, uh, being brought back uh, on level terms by Sunderland. And the response, you have to say, was pretty much emphatic. Three goals in six and a half minutes or seven minutes, something like that. Wow. That's um, good for that. Yeah. I wonder, I mean, it's almost, do you think there's a case that the goal, Arsenal kind of needed the goal almost to kind of kick them into life, you know? Maybe. I mean, I guess you would, yeah, you could say that, but I, I think it was just, um, it was just one of those things and the response could have been very different. We might not have been able to find the goal. We might have struggled to, to break them down. We might have conceded another one. I, you know, I just think you have to look at it um, on its own merits mm. that, you know, we we put the pressure on and once that second goal went in, Sunderland just capitulated completely, you know. Um, and, uh, of course, Olivier Giroud was instrumental to that, wasn't he? Two goals with his first two touches. Yeah, that's, I mean, fantastic. I don't know. I mean, I'm sure the... The Opta guys and the Stats guys probably have put something up over the weekend about this, but uh, you know I can't remember that happening before. I don't remember an Arsenal player coming off the bench and scoring with his first two touches. The last time I can remember an Arsenal player coming off the bench and scoring with his first touch, do you know the goal I'm thinking of? 
I'm thinking of uh, Nicholas Bentner, of course. Correct. Yes, what a, yeah. what a brilliant goal that was. So he's running on. We're about to take a corner. He runs onto the pitch, runs into the area. I think it was Cesc Fabregas who took the corner and he thumped a header home against uh, Tottenham. So that's the last time I can remember that happening. Um, maybe it has happened and it hasn't been quite as decisive in a game. But, uh, I mean, what a great finish it was. Um, you know, he yeah, swept, really swept the ball in. This is a guy that's been out for like a good part of the season. He looked very sharp. Uh, he looks he looks fit and lean and uh, you know, quite beardy. And, uh, you know, it was, it was a really, really good finish, as was the second one. The second one yeah. is like absolutely brilliant header. Um, I think maybe the keeper should have done better with it, but it was it was just one of those that looped perfectly in the in the right area. So I mean, what an impact, you know, for the guy to come on and have he missed as much of the season as he's missed, and and you know, for people still to sort of doubt him a little bit as well. I, I think um, I think that, that's tremendous. It's great for him. It's great for us. Yeah, I, particularly. I mean, the first goal was very good. It was slightly behind him, the ball, and he adjusted brilliantly to kind of uh, side foot it into the far corner. But the header, Ozil's delivery was good, and it, it seemed to be almost a, a training ground routine. You know, the mm. run was perfect to meet it, but it, it looped into the far corner so perfectly that I, I, th- I was like, well, that can't be on. Unpo- that must have taken a nick of someone's shoulder or something. But then mm. to see it on the replay, I mean, it'd be absolutely deliberate. I agree, the keeper might have done better, but it's a superb header, and uh, yeah, a real demonstration of Giroud's quality, really. And that uh, you know, you, you felt in his celebrations, there was almost that thing of you know, I'm back. Don't don't forget about me. Mm. Uh, and interesting as well. I mean, for the analysis of football, I think sometimes we are all guilty of oversimplifying it. But after the Middlesbrough game, almost everybody said, well, we missed someone with the presence of Olivier Giroud <laughs> could come on and change the match. And then that exactly that pattern, you know, to happened in the next game. Yeah. Um, yeah, I think we saw what tremendous value he, he brings to the squad. Absolutely. I mean, I think he's he's always been a player who's who's capable of having an impact from the bench as well. You know, certain players just can't do it or find it difficult to get into the rhythm of a game, whereas Giroud uh, is very quick to do that sometimes. Um, you know, there mm. was a period last season when he was being kept off uh, out of the starting 11 by Theo Walcott up front, and I think he scored from the bench in four games within, you know, a few weeks, uh, including ones against a uh, goal against Bayern Munich as well. So, you know, a big game. He got into the to the rhythm of the game and, and found a way to make an impact. So it's um, it's absolutely fantastic. We also saw a return for, for Aaron Ramsey, which uh, I have to say I'm delighted about because I really like Aaron Ramsey as a player. But did I, I loved the completely accidental creativity he showed in the build-up to the fourth goal. Well, for a start, I didn't even know he was on the pitch uh, because I think the TV broadcast here missed him coming on. Yeah. Um, So there was that whole surprise element to it. And, yeah, the accidental creativity, I mean, it was sort of two occasions, wasn't it? Because first he tried to turn his man and it it became a pass for Kieran Giggs, (laughs) who then struck the post. And then when the ball came back to Ramsey... Uh, I'm not sure how. What, what was it? Was it a shot he had? That I, then I went think. To Alexis? He, I think as the ball was rebounding out, he just stuck his foot out to try and direct it back towards goal, and it, it became a pass to Alexis, who who then finished it absolutely brilliantly. I loved the uh, 
I love the finish of that. Like whatever about stepping inside the uh, the defender, the way that he just poked it past the keeper was was absolutely superb. But it was like totally brilliant accidental creativity from from Aaron Ramsey. He had no uh, intention to do either of those things. I don't think. Um, but you know, what can you say? A good way to make an impact. I suppose it will go down as a as an assist for him. So um, yeah, yeah, good to see him absolutely. back. Absolutely. And what position was he playing? Do we think he was playing? Was he playing on the right hand side vaguely? Uh, oh, your guess is as good as mine. Yeah, I don't know. <laughs> I think he probably, probably was a little bit because he came on for Oxley Chamberlain. Um, but I don't. I, I think he probably to- then switched in field when Maitland Niles came on very late on, but. He was he was sort of doing that Ramsey thing where it's sort of unclear. <laughs> yeah. Where where are you? What are you doing? Where, who are you supposed yeah. to be? Yeah. So I don't know when you know when you're three four one up. Then in the last few minutes, uh, I'm not sure positional discipline is the order of the day. Had we been trying to hang on to a one goal lead, maybe uh, we would have had a better idea. But look, just good to see him back, and obviously now midfield becomes. Uh, a, a crowded place again because Granite Jack is back, Aaron mm-hmm. Ramsey is back, Coquelin I thought played well against uh, mm-hmm. against Sunderland. I thought Mohamed El Neni was absolutely fantastic as well. Mm-hmm. Um, Santi Cazorla, I don't know what the situation with him is in terms of in terms of his injury, but you know we've got we've got all these midfield field options again, and uh, I, you know I I hope. I, it probably won't be a case that too many cooks spoil the broth, you know, trying to figure out how to to fit everybody in. But, I, you know, I'd much rather have this situation than just have, you know, two fit central midfielders or available central midfielders. So so great to see him back. Yeah, and also, uh, they're, you know, Austin's already talking up the possibility of playing Ramsey on the flanks. I don't know how seriously he's considering it, but with that wealth of central midfield options, it, it must be something that's on the table. Um mm. It's a bit disconcertingly vague about Cazorla, isn't it? We haven't heard much at all, really, about that injury. Yeah. Yeah. I do wonder if they're being extra cautious because he had a big Achilles problem last season uh, and that was what kept him out after he had the knee injury. It was an Achilles problem that kept him out for for such a long time as well. So if he's taken a kick or if it's aggravated something that was perhaps he was managing... You know, I'm not sure anyone who's had Achilles problems will know that they don't tend to like fully go away. Um, you you can you can manage your training, you can manage to play through a certain amount of discomfort. But if he's aggravated something and it's uh, it's particularly sore again, it could be could be a bit of a worry, all right. But you know, when you've got Xhaka, when you've got Ramsey, Coquelin, and El Nenny uh, who can fill in there, it's not quite as uh, is not quite as worrisome. Obviously, you want Cazorla available, but I think we've got the depth to cope. Yeah, and I, you mentioned Alneni. I thought he was really excellent. Uh, completed about 90-odd passes. And when you look back at that you know, move for the first goal, which is 21 passes or so, mm. he'll be in there several times. He really showed great vision on several occasions. He's got that fantastic engine. I feel like he's a player who's particularly useful away from home. You know, there's something about the way he plays that just seems to fit that strategic setup. I think, uh, yeah, I think he, he was terrific. So it'll be really interesting to see what the manager does over the next week. Obviously, we go away in the Champions League, but then a very, very big game at the weekend. So maybe he'll look to rotate it a little again. Yeah, I mean, what do you think he's going to do uh, for tomorrow night? Because obviously we beat them 6-0 in the first uh, game, uh, but it wasn't necessarily as comfortable as the 6-0 scoreline would suggest. You know, the first half, David Ospina was called into action a number of times. 
uh, and but for some uh, very good interventions by him, they might have scored. Uh, so I think, yeah, it's going to be interesting to see how much he changes things around. I think he will. I think he'll go pretty strong tomorrow night. To be honest. Mm. Well, you know. At least the the game was Saturday lunchtime as opposed to, you know, Sunday afternoon. Mm. It's a Tuesday as opposed to a Wednesday with the Spurs game being on a Sunday as opposed to a Saturday. Yeah. As kind as the fixtures could be, it, it has been. So I think there'll be a few changes. I wonder if uh, maybe there'll be more in the attacking departments. I wonder if Olivier Giroud might get himself a start after a couple of substitute appearances. Um, but, uh, yeah, I, I wouldn't expect many changes at the back. I think the back four will be pretty much intact uh, and probably Coquelin and Elneny have a very good chance to play as well mm, Do you think I think he might do something in midfield I think he might bring Xhaka back or, or uh, I think maybe he might be a bit cautious still with Aaron Ramsey about starting him Yeah um, Jack would be the one, I think. I'd be surprised if Ramsey started this soon. Uh, mm. I don't think there's any chance of Ramsey starting, say, the Spurs game at the weekend. So there's not necessarily a big imperative to get him ready for that match. So yeah. I think, yeah, if, if someone comes in, it's more likely to be Shaka. OK, so if he starts Giroud up top tomorrow, who yes. makes way? Yeah, well, that's an interesting one, isn't it? But the, I mean, it's an interesting debate full stop with the whole... Giroud Alexis thing. As regards tomorrow, I suppose I would think. I suppose I would think uh, Alexis maybe. But Ooh, do you know, you he's 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 not going to be happy about that. <laughs> no, I mean, yeah. Is is he starting Giroud to to rest Alexis ahead of Sunday, or simply to to give Giroud a game? He did say specifically that. The Giroud and Sanchez can play together, but uh, Sanchez would have to move wide. Like, could he move Sanchez back out to the left where Alex Iwobi has been playing? He could do. He could do. But I feel like, for me, I suppose the point of fielding Giroud, I know he's a very different player to Alexis, would be to afford Alexis that rest ahead of the Spurs game. Now, whether or not Arsenal feels he needs that, I don't know. Obviously, that also changes the attacking dynamic of the team mm. significantly. Um but I just wonder with Theo Walcott possibly out. I mean, we don't really know much about his injury situation. I know. That, I think we were told he could be back for Tuesday, yeah, weren't we? Yeah, there was some suggestion uh, he could be all right, yeah. Yeah, so he should be OK for Spurs. But I just think they'll be f maybe a bit cautious with Alexis. But that was the interesting thing about the jury. I mean, you know, he came on, he scored two goals. And ordinarily in a situation like that, you might think, oh, you know, is this guy the player we should be building our attack around? But mm. the guy who we are building our attack around, Alexis, also nabbed himself a brace. It was a, a question of plan A and plan B, yeah. both working pretty well. Does, does, um, does, does that then give him, an, like, does it clarify anything in his mind or does it give him a, a bigger headache? For me, it clarifies it because Alexis started and that worked. You know, Alexis was effective and Giroud came off the bench mm. and that worked. So, to my mind, those roles are kind of, uh, you know, confirmed by what by what happened. What, what about you? Um, I, again, I'm not sure. You know, I think, I think what's been really interesting and exciting about the team this season is the way that we've been playing and the way that we've set up from an attacking point of view. And I don't want to say that playing Giroud completely undoes that because I don't think it does. He's a guy who's been part of some of our best performances, uh, you know, in the seasons that he's been here. It's not like we've never played well with, with Giroud in the side. You know, that's not the case at all. But 
Yeah, I mean, he's got to give him games. I don't think he can he can be a super sub the entire season. Mm-hmm. And he also has to balance Alexis and the effort that he puts in into the games, perhaps where we might need him most. And you'd look at Sunday's game against uh, Spurs as one where, like a fully fit, raring to go Alexis, perhaps slightly frustrated Alexis, you know, that he yeah. didn't get on in midweek or was left out in midweek. You know, maybe that's the thing. But, you know, I look at Alex Iwobi. I thought he was very quiet against Sunderland. I thought he had a quiet game um, the previous week, too. I just wonder, are there signs that he's a guy who could possibly benefit from being taken out of the firing line just a little bit, uh, you know, to, to let him refocus and uh, and, uh, and find his way again? Not that he's, like, gone off track or anything, but he is still a very young player. And he's he's sort of having the, a little bit of a fluctuation in terms of his form, so I, that was why I was um, wondering where you think he might he might make the change if he brings Giroud in. So my, yeah, I mean, my problem is if if I'm minded to give Giroud a game partly to give Alexis a rest, I feel like if you end up putting Alexis wide, he's probably covering more ground in that position than he is at centre forward. You know, just in terms of mm. f- tracking back and what have you, and the way he works on that flank. So. Uh, I don't know. Do, do you think Do you think Giroud will play this game? It just seems to me like it's an opportunity for him to start a match which may not be particularly forthcoming in other areas over the next few weeks. Yeah, yeah, maybe so. I mean, you could make a good case for it, all right. Um, and there's no question that I think the the team selection for tomorrow night will be informed slightly by what's coming up on Sunday. Even if we do have you know plenty of days between the the Champions League fixture and Sunday. You can not take that into consideration. I think he said something about that earlier, actually. Um, you know, he'll... Well, let me see if I can find the, the quote here. Boom, 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 boom. Here he is. Uh, he's talking about... Uh, with Jack back, I have to analyse all that now. We play in the Champions League and then we play Tottenham, so I have to see who I rest and who I play without diminishing the chance of the team to win the game. So it's it's clear he's thinking about... Uh, freshening things up for sure. So yeah, Giro up top is one of those fairly obvious ones, isn't it? Yeah, I think so. And, and look, Spurs have got Bayer Leverkusen on Wednesday. I think that's a big game for them. You know, I think they've got four points. Bayer have got three in that group, so they won't be able to rest many for that particular match, mm. and they'll have a day's less recovery. So we've got that in our favour at oh, least. All right. Okay. Well, that's that's that. Looking ahead to that. Anything else from the weekend? Catch your eye. Tickle your fancy. Uh, I mean, I mentioned Spurs. I enjoyed uh, Leicester rediscovering some of their form from last season to get a point there yeah. at White Hart Lane. That was that was enjoyable. Um, just trying to think up and down the leagues, really. Uh, I mean, that was kind of it. I, I enjoyed... Did you see Crystal Palace, Leicester, uh, Liverpool? That was a, a game ber- beautifully bereft of defending. <laughs> no, I didn't see any of that. That was yesterday, no? Uh, Saturday evening. Saturday evening. Right. Yeah. That was a fun one. No. Um, because just because simply nobody uh, nobody really knew how to defend anything at all. Um, <laughs> so that made it for a very, very entertaining spectacle. What was the result but, uh, of that one? Did Liverpool four, win? 2 to four Liverpool. Two Liverpool, Jesus. So Liverpool sit joint top. Well, <laughs> joint top. They're third, we're second, Man City first, all on 23 points, Chelsea behind on 22. Mm. Um it's incredibly tight and very exciting, really. I mean, you know, 
I haven't got a clue what's going to happen. No, I don't think anyone does. And uh, again, again, I guess it speaks to the to the competitiveness of of the league in general. Um, but of course, there are only ten games. I think we'll start to see things stretch. Um, you know, top four, top five, stretching away from the rest. I mean, there's a top six there now, really, isn't there? So Everton yeah. are only two points off Tottenham, and then starting to a bit of a gap so hopefully we can extend that gap over Manchester United and Tottenham um, as the month of November hang on no November yeah, exactly. Um, yeah. For this this Halloween, I'm coming dressed as Arsenal's November. Oh God! Uh, so you're just dressing <laughs> as a big pile of shit. Yeah, basically. Uh, yeah, I mean it is a, a it is a daunting fixture list, isn't it? Spurs on the sixth, then it's the international break, then it's Manchester United away, PSG, then a, a relatively welcome tie at home to Bournemouth, and then uh, we finish with Southampton in the League Cup. Mm. So. Yeah, uh, but I mean, th- those Spurs, United and PSG games, absolutely mammoth. Really. Yeah, they really are. OK, well, look, we'll uh, we'll obviously wait and see how we get on with those. We're going to take a short break here now. We're going to come back with part two and your questions right after this. Welcome back to the Arscast Extra. This is the part of the show where we answer the questions that you sent to us on Twitter, at GunnarBlog and at ArsBlog, or on Facebook. Check out the Facebook page, facebook.com forward slash the ArsBlog. James, I'm going to go first with the questions. Oh, go on. Yeah. Um, this one is from Brendan Dean at 2D2Eno. God. That was much more difficult to say than it should have been. Anyway, he wanted to know, what did you make of Jack Wilshere's comments? Do you think he was a little bit foolish, given he's been forever injured? And the context of this is saying that being left out of the England squad by Sam Allardyce was the final straw for him, at which point he demanded a move to play regular football. Yeah, I mean, I found that a really fascinating interview to read, and one that shed... You know, a lot of light. If you haven't seen it, I think it's a piece, I'm afraid to say, with the Daily Mail. Ooh. But, uh, yeah. But uh, it shed quite a lot of light on how his move exactly came to pass, you know, the interaction between him and Arsene Wenger in the build up to the transfer window and his attitude on the move. And, and I came away from it really feeling like he doesn't sound like a player in much of a hurry to come back. I mean, in a much more definite way than a lot of other loanies we've had in recent seasons. He sounds. I don't know. I didn't. I came away from it thinking, I don't know if I see Jack Wilshere at Arsenal again. It, it made the switch sound very permanent to me. Was that your impression? Yeah, um, slightly. I mean, I think the, the the thing that I took away from it more than anything was um, was just the the lack of understanding about why maybe he wasn't picked for the England squad. And about why he wasn't starting for uh, for Arsenal after what yeah. two three games of the season? You've been in. You spent the whole of last season injured. You went to the European Championships not fit by your own admission. It's got to take some time. I think there, there was a very interesting line. He said there was already a lot of midfielders, and then he bought another one, as if hmm. somehow it was a slight to Jack Wilshire. But maybe Wilshire read into it what he wanted to read into it, that, you know, oh, well, left-footed midfielder coming in, doing or playing in the position where I'd like to play, and he's paid £35 million pounds for him. Maybe that says, um, tells Jack Wilshire what Arsene Wenger thinks, you know? But um, just the lack of 
general understanding about um, his own situation, about the reality of his situation. Not whatever version of it that's going on in his head, but the reality. If you were to step back and examine it, look, you played in a couple of the games, you came on as a substitute, work hard, train hard, stay fit, get in the team and stay in the team. And I think, as I, I said, we said it here on the podcast, I've said it on the blog, I think he took, I won't say an easy option, but I think he took a step down and I don't think it's going to be easy for him to make the step back up. I think it's going to become very difficult for him to do that. Um, whereas he could have, if he'd stayed in a midfield at Arsenal, that was kind of in flux, right? There yeah. was, it's not like there's definite... Um, we, we still don't know who's going to play in midfield from game to game. So the, the, the chance is there to make your mark and to work hard and get into it. And I just I found it, yeah, it was quite informative for me that, that he chose to leave rather than stay and fight. Yeah, and especially because I remember in those first few games of the season, it felt to me like Arsene was making quite a concerted effort to include him. You know, mm. he came off the bench, he was getting minutes. And I remember thinking, oh, there's, you know, I remember thinking this is typical of Arsene because whenever Wilshire is fit, he does seem to make a real push for him to be in the side. Um, obviously, not being in the England squad really hurt him. And to me, that also, as an Arsenal fan above a, an England fan, that rankles slightly. Do you know what mm. I mean? I mean, I know it's sure. kind of a reflection of how you're playing, but I kind of think you've got to play for your club first. That's got to be the priority, your paymasters. Um, but yeah, I, I mean, do you think if he'd stayed, he would have had a shot at establishing himself in the Arsenal side? We talked about the sheer wealth of options Arsene Wenger's got in mm. that area at the top of the show. Do you think he could have, could have done something here? Sure, why not? You know, if. He, he, yeah, I mean, look, he's got quality and talent and all those kind of things. Uh, and like you say, Arsene Wenger is prepared to give him a chance. Maybe you would have had to be a bit patient. But, you know, a Xhaka suspension and a Cazorla injury opens the door for uh, for Wilshire, you know, to come back in. And I think he would have played in EFL Cup. I think he would have got minutes as a substitute. And then it was on him. You could, you could say there were similarities between his situation and that of Alex Oxlade-Chamberlain, right? That he Definitely. was a guy over whom there were a lot of doubts, that he was not in any way and still isn't in any way assured of a starting position in the team, but when given the chances, has got to show that he's got what it takes. And Oxlade-Chamberlain, to his credit, is producing this season far more than he ever has. And he's taken a step forward because he's knuckled down, he's worked hard. So, mm-hmm. you know, I think, I think Wilshire would have had chances, whether he took them or not is another question. And if he was so unhappy with his situation, he could have gone on loan in January. Could have, like, okay, I'm here, it's January, I'm not playing anywhere near as much as I would like, I want to go on loan. And I think, the you know, Arsenal would have let that happen. If they let it happen in in um, in in August, they would have let it happen in January. And as we said, as I said at the time, I think when a club deems you expendable, then you're you're yeah you're on a slippery slope I think so yeah I don't think the comments were particularly well judged from Wilshire to be honest I also think you mentioned Oxlade Chamberlain as a parallel but Theo Walcott is also potentially a parallel you know a guy who suffered a lot of injury pro- uh, problems and wasn't part of the first team and he came back after the summer with a transformed attitude and mm. has against the odds almost established himself as a an important part of the first team so it is possible to do that I think. Telling, too, that Wilshire talks about, you know, we had a lot of midfielders and Arsene went and bought another one at, in a summer in which 
Matthew Flamini, Mikel Arteta and Thomas Rosicki all left the club. Mm. You know, it's not like there wasn't an opportunity for other midfielders to stake a claim there. So, yeah, I, I, and I came away from it thinking, well, if, if he really feels that way and has that sense of uh, entitlement, I guess, about the fact that he should be playing, mm. then maybe it is better for him to be at a club where he's going to be first choice week in, week out, because yeah. at the moment, you know, it doesn't feel like that's going to be Arsenal. All right, next question. Next question, yeah. Sorry, I was quite engrossed there. <laughs> um, let's have a look. So, Rob Hull. Rob says, with Alexis banging goals in, Giroud coming off the bench to bag a brace at the weekend, Lucas Perez looking sharp until his injury, and that guy Welbs due back in two months, have Arsenal now incredibly become too striker heavy no no <laughs> <laughs> because uh, Lucas Perez is out for two months Danny Welbeck mm. if he's back in January you know it's still going to take him what when you think of all the football that Danny Welbeck has missed over the last couple of seasons it's going to take him probably till next season to be properly truly unfit on form with the rhythm that you need to be uh, as effective as you can be. So, you know, I I, I like... Um, it's a shame. I think the Lucas injury is a real shame because he provided us with that extra bit of depth and quality uh, and a bit of craft and experience as well. You know, he's 28 years of age, so, you know, he's a, a pretty smart player. So I think that's a bit of a, a bit of a blow, to be honest. But I don't think we can be too striker heavy. You know, Alexis uh, and Giroud are doing it. Um, well, Giroud's only just started doing it. Obviously, Alexis is having a, a fantastic season, a really brilliant season uh, so far. Um but no, I don't think we, we could say we're too striker-heavy. If they were all fit and all available, then uh, then perhaps um, it might cause Arsene Wenger a problem. But for now, no, no, I don't think so. What about you? Yeah. No, yeah. I've, I mean, I think it's a great situation. It feels like such a, a transformation from when it felt like it was only Giroud for so long. Mm. Um, and obviously Alexis kind of shifting his roles played a part in that. But I agree, Lucas has looked sharp. The, the guy would be cursing his luck at the moment, I guess, is Tuba Akpom, who might have had with Lucas out an opportunity for the odd game here and there. Certainly mm. in the Capital One Cup, EFL Cup as it's now called, the other night he would have had a chance. But it sounds like he's got a relatively serious uh, back injury. So yeah. we, we, you know, he's, he's missing out, unfortunately. Mm, I saw somebody on Facebook the other day. We did a story about that on Arsblog News, and this guy was in the comments suggesting that it was all a conspiracy, that Akpom wasn't injured at all, and this was just Wenger's way of getting Olivier Giroud back into the team. <laughs> People are fucking mad, aren't they? <laughs> I think so. I think so. I must say, I don't know anything about the, the fitness status of Yaya Sanogo, but I think he is also injured as well. So, mm. um, I think I, I think I read on, could have been on Reddit, on the, the Gunners subreddit there, somebody saying that they saw Yaya Sanogo in the gym. Like they go, whatever, what's a chain of gyms that you've got in the UK? Do you know? Oh, I don't know. Virgin Active? No, um, wasn't that. My gym's just called The Gym. The Gym. Yeah, right. that's the name of the the brand of gym. Okay, uh, I don't I don't know, but some, he, they saw him actually in a gym. Did yeah, they? in a gym. Yeah, just doing okay. doing his shit. So I don't know. Maybe there was just no room at the Arsenal gym that day, and or maybe he's doing some extra training. I don't know, but I think it doesn't really matter, to be honest. <laughs> <laughs> I think you're right now, and I think it's great that we've got a, a variety of striking options. And to be honest, it is a real blow to lose Lucas, but. Uh, 
it's slightly balanced out, mm. isn't it, by Giroud coming back to fitness. So, yeah. All right, here's a question uh, coming from a couple of people, actually. Uh, one is Adam at Adam Arsenal, who says, does Kieran Gibbs now deserve to start? I've been really impressed with his performances and mentality. And... Um, uh, that's also backed up by Gagan J, who wants to know uh, who would be your first choice left back against Spurs if Monreal is fit again. So, what's going on there? What do you reckon? Ah, oh, dear, dear. I uh, well, listen. I think um, I really sighed there. Like I was really s- uh, stressing myself over the left back situation. I think Kieran Gibbs has been great in the last few games. I thought uh, he was very good against Ludogorets. Uh, I thought he was good against Reading again. And then I thought he was very good at Sunderland. Now, I suppose what unites those games is it's not necessarily uh, the the stiffest competition mm-hmm. that we might face. Um, I also wonder as well how much it's got to do with who's in front of him, a subject that we've talked about you know, on this podcast several times. But uh, maybe maybe he's been a little bit more protected than Monreal. But mm-hmm. I think... For me, I'm a massive Nacho Monreal fan. I thought last season he really was one of our players of the season, absolutely outstanding. But I think if you want to protect the meritocratic nature of the squad and you want to give that sense of competition, I think it's it's very, very tempting to stick with Gibbs because he's he's barely put a foot wrong, to be honest, since mm. he's come in. So I, I might be inclined to keep him there and, and let Nacho kind of earn his place. I'm sure there'll be plenty of opportunities for him to to do that but for now yeah I think Gibbs I think maybe he deserves to stay on the side what what do you reckon Mm. yeah I mean I think you're right he has been good Um, but I just feel like Monreal's I know he's had some difficult games this season but I think generally speaking his his consistency has been has been absolutely fantastic Um, so I'd be I'd be a bit more inclined to just stick with him because of that. But I think it's a good mm. it's a good situation when Gibbs is coming in and he's been given a chance uh, like like others he's he's knuckled down, he's worked hard. Uh he's shown he's we talked about him being adequate backup the other week, didn't we? So uh he he's proving to be more than adequate in that regard that his performances have been good. I just think maybe Monreal is a little bit better on the ball. I think he gives us a little bit more. Um, and I think, you know, if Monreal had played against Sunderland, for example, you know, he would have had a relatively, uh, you know, solid performance the same way Gibbs did because there was little or no threat apart from that guy. What, what was his name? Kazri? The uh, guy, Kazri. Yeah, the guy yeah. who would, like, he, his crossing was worse than Oxlade-Chamberlain's was. He just kept hitting them <laughs> over the bar and out out for goal kicks and stuff. So I don't yeah. think Gibbs had an awful lot to to contend with. Uh, when it comes to uh, when it comes to uh, Sunderland, so you know his uh, his performance was was reflected on that, you know. But uh, no, I would I would go to I would go to Gibbs or to Monreal for for Spurs. Okay, well, well, let's hope he's fit for a start. Um, James Powell asked this on Facebook, but a few other people asked it uh, on Twitter too. Mm-hmm. And he says, on Match of the Day on Saturday, Alan Shearer claimed that Sergio Aguero is the only world-class player in the Premier League. Do you agree? And if not, who would be on your list? Um, this is one of those weird ones, isn't it? Because there's no actual, what is the definition of world-class? It, yeah, seems, it exactly. seems to change. You know, It's not like, okay, tick all of these boxes and you are a world-class player. 
Um, I don't think there's any doubt that Sergio Aguero is a, a brilliant, brilliant footballer, a great striker. Um, like, if, if world-class is Lionel Messi, then there are very few other world-class players in the world. Um, exactly. So it's difficult. But look, I, by the very general or broad spectrum of that term um, that people use, uh, Aguero would be, let's say, a world-class player. But, I, you know, I think based on what we've seen this season, Alexis Sanchez is that too. Uh, Mesut Ozil is. Um, you know, these are the guys who are the big stars in the Premier League. Um, if you're looking for guys who can do it week in, week out consistently um, and who provide excitement and quality in games, then certainly our two boys um, have some of that. I mean, there must be other players at other teams. Um, perhaps I'm refusing to give them any real credit. <laughs> uh, you know, but th- there must be guys. I mean, Aguero is one of the best players in the league. Like, if you were to pick the f- like the top ten players in the league, he would be in there. But then so would Ozil, and so would um, Alexis Sanchez, like yeah, Lor- exactly. Lauren Koscielny. That was the name I was going to throw in. I yeah. mean, I, I can't think of many centre halves in world football who are who's superior to him. Yeah, exactly. Uh, you know, but again, it's like, well, is he world class compared to uh, Sergio Aguero? Or, you know, based on the fact that he is one of the most consistent central defenders in Europe, um, that that all the uh, opposition seem to say he's a nightmare to play against. He's very difficult to play against. So, you know, for it's trying to find out what is that definition. But if, if Sergio Aguero is it, then some of, yeah, Cassiano, Alexis, Ozil, who else? I mean, I don't want to go through all the teams in the league. It seems like a pain in the hole. Yeah. <laughs> Wayne Rooney, of uh, course, you know. Um, Rooney, obviously, yeah. yeah. Kazri. Kazri, yeah. yeah World class yeah. At, at hitting. Gilibodji. Uh, <laughs> <laughs> yeah, All those guys. Names. Yeah, exactly. But uh, yeah, I think it's, um, it's, it's a ridiculous statement to make to say there's only one world class player in the Premier League. Um, but then it was Alan Shearer, so. That's it. I mean, you, we can't be too surprised, can we? No, I don't think we can. <laughs> I don't think we can. No. Yeah. I mean, there aren't many world class pundits on British television. That's oh my the, god! Did you, did you hear? Did you see the uh, the Jamie Redknapp story? Uh, oh, I don't know if I did. <laughs> During the um, Chelsea game at the weekend, Jamie Redknapp said, "Hang on, there's a quote here. I'm going to have to." Oh yes, I did hear he this. You've reminded me that uh, it's great to see young English talent like Victor Moses get a chance. Good to see young English talent getting a chance. Victor Moses is 25 years of age and is a Nigerian international. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> I mean, for fuck's sake. I know we... Good l- to I, see. I know, but you, you know what, though? We, we sit here, and I know pressures of live television and all those kind of things, and, you know, maybe it's not an, as easy a job as, as we like to make it out. But if you're being paid a shitload of money to what I suppose give your expertise on the mm. game of football for viewers to to improve to enhance the viewing experience and if you don't know that a guy who's been playing in the Premier League for what how long like Victor Moses was at Wigan right so oh he's been at Crystal Palace Wigan yeah, he's been around he's been around so he's been a Premier League player for five six years at least mm. And if you, you're, you're sitting there and he's, you're telling people he's English, young English talent, and he's a, a Nigerian international, 
I mean, that's that's bullshit. He should have his wages docked for that. Like, maybe they could do what they do with referees. When referees make a mistake, they get demoted, you know, to do a game in League Two or the Championship or something like that. So maybe Jamie Redknapp would have to, I don't know, he'd have to be, I don't know, a fluffer on a porn set or something. I don't know. Go sure. work on Dancing with the Stars. I don't know. Something terrible. But you should be you should be made to pay for that. Well, look, I mean, it, he wasn't alone. I mean, there was a few mistakes. I noticed Match of the Day uh, on BBC t- twice saying that Olivier Giroud's goals against Sunderland were his first against since scoring against Sunderland in January. Uh, completely forgetting goals. I think he scored at Man City, scored a hat-trick against Aston Villa. Yeah. And they, they mentioned it twice. So Was that yeah, the commentator bizarre. or the... The commentator, yeah, yeah. Right. Um, and that's really weird really because yeah, because normally the commentators, if you see them, uh, and some of them do it on Twitter, um, where they put up their, you know, they have their books. So yeah. they have all the names and they have all these facts and, you know, all little snippets in. So when Giroud gets the ball, you know, 20, whatever, 64 caps for France, blah, 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 all these sort of things. So they have these little snippets and facts that they can throw in. So he obviously just didn't do his research, that guy. No, or if he, maybe he didn't recognise Giroud with the beard. What do you make of that beard? Is, do you think he's taken it too far? Uh, is he taking it too far? No, I mean, I think he should grow it down beyond his, uh, beyond his belly button. Although, <laughs> it, would, <laughs> it would be probably really easy to, to stop him. Like, whatever about having these skin-tight shirts so you can't really grip them as much. You know, if you could just grab a guy by the beard when you're, when you're running along... Could make well, it a bit difficult. It, yeah. Imagine if, like, someone just wrenched off his beard. But no, I, 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 I say grow it as much as you, you know, as much as you want, far as you like. Okay, that'd be nice if he could, and if he could score with his beard, that'd be good as well. You know, one off the top of the head and then one off the chin, one off the beard. I'd enjoy yeah. that. <laughs> yeah. That'd be good. All right, whose question is it? My question or your question? It's your question. Okay, here this one comes from Carl Pokorny at Carl underscore Pokorny. And he says, imagine for a second, just a second, that Spurs completed an invincible season, but still finished fifth. Worth it for the lols? Well, (laughs) yeah. I mean, there was a few questions about this. So they are still unbeaten, aren't they? They're staggering along. Mm. A few draws along the way. A lot of um, draws. I would say it's not for me... As funny as that would be to finish unbeaten and well short of the title, uh, they I feel like they'd still find a way to brag about that. So I, I would be against it. I want to preserve the integrity. For me, it's always a sweet moment in the season where every side's been beaten. Mm. Uh, I, I always take a bit of satisfaction from that. And of course, if they go season unbeaten, that means we've gone a season without beating them. So I'm never really going to sign up for that. So oh, I think, oh yeah, good thinking. It'll it'll be a no for me. I'd like to see that whole idea put to bed as soon as Sunday. What about you? Uh, yeah, I mean, there is part of me that you know would enjoy the fact that they could only do what we did, but much worse. Yeah. You know, <laughs> that even when they did do what we did, it didn't win them anything. That would be hilarious. But I think you're right. Yeah, the integrity of, of the achievement that we had in 2003, 2004 should be preserved. And obviously, if we can beat them along the way, then that makes it even better. I, I would prefer um, Spurs to finish fifth and also get beaten by us twice. So, mm. yeah, I don't think it would be worth it. No. 
No, let's hope uh, let's hope the unbeaten run ends very very mm. very soon. Um, let's. It's time for an annual question. This is from uh, AJR, who's our AJ on Twitter, confusingly, mm-hmm. and he says after the Sunderland match, Wenger hinted at a possible four four two. How soon do you see that happening, if at all? Uh, I don't. I don't really no. see it happening, to be honest. Um, I think it might be something that he could do during games if we need to, like stick two up top if we're chasing a game or looking for a winner or something like that. Uh, but I don't really think that we're going to see the starting formation change. So, I mean, that that is what what's going to provide him with the challenges of giving Giroud enough playing time, Alexis, you know, um, up front as well. So I, I think it might be something that he implements during a game, but I don't see it happening I don't see it happening from the start, do you? No. I think he, he pays quite regular lip service to the idea, and he talked about, well, I could play him as a, as a wide or play him deeper, but fundamentally... And, in fact, Thierry Henry was banging on about this in the Sky Studio after the match, saying, I think Alexis and Giroud should play as a two together. But I, I think that's a very naive statement from Henry, because then where do you put Ozil? I think Ozil's mm. position as the number 10 essentially dictates that you can only really have one other central striker if you want to have a stable midfield so uh, I, I don't think it'll happen I think it might be something we do as an emergency like you say if we're chasing a game but uh, I can't see us it's been 10 years really since we played 4-4-2 with any kind of regularity and I, I don't see that changing anytime soon mm, true true alright here's one from bum, 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 bum. Dewey at Dewey the Gooner and uh, he says why do you think Steve Bold never gets a mention when discussing Arsene Wenger's uh, predecessor or successor I guess is the word he wants there <laughs> well yeah uh, I guess he played under Arsene Wenger's predecessor I um, good question because you know apparently if you've been an assistant somewhere you're definitely qualified to be the manager if you ask Ryan Giggs uh, that's the way it works mm. But I, I, well, I suppose it's just purely down to lack of experience. But it's interesting, isn't it? If Steve Bold had been a higher profile player, like if Steve Bold, if it wasn't Steve Bold, but it was, say, Tony Adams or mm. uh, Patrick Vieira or Thierry Henry, a more glamorous name, perhaps, it probably would be discussed, wouldn't it? It probably would be on the media agenda. Uh, but as it is, Bold doesn't get a look in. I wonder if his ambitions are in management I imagine they are but he must recognise that he'd probably have to go away from the club uh, to fulfil those mm. yeah I th- you know what I think it is as well though I think we don't necessarily we don't really know a lot about what Steve Bold wants no or what his ambitions might be you know he's a pretty quiet character even when remember when Arsene Wenger had um a touchline ban. Was it three games in the Champions League a few seasons ago? And Steve mm. Bold was the man. You know, he's he's not a uh, he's not a demonstrative shouter and screamer on the bench, is he? He's no. um, he's uh, he just seems to be there, a sort of looming presence. And I'm sure on the training ground he's got a lot of input. And obviously himself and Arsene Wenger talk throughout the games. And um, but. But just, I, I think part of it is that we, we just have no idea whether or not this is something that he wants. And I think from the little we have seen of him, it doesn't strike you that it would be something he'd be really comfortable with. 
Would yeah, that I mean, be that's wrong? an interesting point. I mean, yeah, I mean, I think we're sort of sometimes guilty of the assumption that everyone who works on the coaching side of football wants mm. to be a manager. Uh, there are lots of people who are very happy being a goalkeeping coach or coaching, mm. you know, just, I mean, I, I guess he's, as a coach, he's right at the top of his game. You know, he's working at one of the biggest clubs in the world alongside a great manager. He's probably very content with that. And he's worked his way up through the system, having coached the under-18s and the reserves. So maybe he's just happy happy there. I, 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 I don't think... He's very media shy. And I guess, mm. what to your point, if he did have designs on a managerial career, perhaps he would be making making more splashes in the media in an attempt to raise his profile. He doesn't look like someone desperate to put his head above the parapet, mm. uh, ironically, for such a tall man. Mm. So, yeah, uh, <laughs> I, I don't think he is an option. Do you consider him an option if I, for Arsene Wenger's eventual successor? Uh, I, don't, I, I don't know. I just don't know. Mm. Um, possibly if Arsene want to keep it in-house... But again, like we just don't have enough information to have any uh, any real idea whether or not it's something he wants to do or is capable of doing. So I, I guess if you're if you're in the game though, and if you're working, like your ambition would probably be to be a manager. If you've been an assistant manager, a coach, you've done all the coaching badges. Maybe maybe he he wants to be the manager. But I, I just like I really have no idea. So I don't know. I don't know. It's, it's a good question though. Something to think about. Yeah, and I do think there is something in that idea that if he was maybe higher profile... He's, I mean, he's 53 now, Steve Bolt, so mm. he's been coaching for some time. Uh, I, I personally don't think... I don't see him taking over as Arsenal mm. manager, but in the next few years, you know, that perception might shift. Uh, another question? Yeah. Yeah. So, yeah, why not? Um, this comes from uh, Ben H, who's at Neon Away Shirts on Twitter. And he says, when he eventually scores for us, how do you think Coquelin will celebrate? He will celebrate by seeing the ball hit the back of the net. He will be so shocked and surprised <laughs> at this that he won't be able to react in any other way than uh, applying a manly handshake to a number of his teammates who will be congratulating him. And he say, chaps, steady on now. Still a game to be won here. Let's not get carried away with ourselves. <laughs> None of this shouting and screaming like, yeah. like I do when all of you guys score. Let's get on with it. Like, I mean, I think that's the only way to celebrate a goal. Good slap nice, on the back. Nice. Well done, chap. Yeah. Well done. Now let's get on with it. It's a very Shoot. demure reaction. Yeah. There is a great photo of him. I mean, there's a great photo of him every week, but at Sunderland as ever, you know, flying into the fray, celebrating. Yeah. He, I mean, I don't know if he needs a goal. He seems to take so much pleasure from other people's. Yeah. There was a moment, wasn't there, where he was clean through. He was almost clean through. Yes. Yeah, and yeah. I was thinking, holy shit, is this, is this the moment? Is this the moment? And then he turned back into the way of the defender uh, and got tackled on the edge of the box. A bit of a shame. Like, I would, I'd love to see him score because I think he probably would just lose his fucking reason, to be honest. Um, depending, of course, when he scored, it would probably be like the consolation goal in the 90th minute when we're 3-0 down in some game and that's that will be his goal and he'll have to just go, oh, fuck, can't celebrate that. But, uh, you know, we'll see. Circumstances will dictate. Chances are, if it was a big goal in a big game or an important goal, I think he would go crazy. Crazy. Oh, 
Can you imagine? I think he'd be in the crowd, definitely. Yeah. And whatever his celebration it was, I guarantee he would acquire probably his second booking for it. <laughs> <laughs> Probably. You know one of those where like where sometimes you see a player and they grab a player and they shake him, you know, and there's like a bit of it's almost verging on too violent. It's yeah, like please stop, you're you're scaring me now, please stop. <laughs> so we'll see. We'll see. Alright, here's one from Marshall Doig. Uh or Doig. Uh and he wants okay. to know worst Arsenal nightmare you've ever had. Uh with a little asterisk and it says while sleeping, watching Mikhail Silvestre does not count. <laughs> uh, I have I quite often have nightmares about North London derbies mm. um, they're the ones that really get to me I had a dream I remember once a dream a very specific dream about losing 4-1 to Spurs at White Hart Lane and I think Danny Rose may have scored all the goals <laughs> <laughs> Um, so that that's definitely up there do you have one that you remember? I... I did this thing a while ago because whenever I have a weird Arsenal dream, I tend to put it on the blog. Oh, yeah. Yeah, yeah. So I did, I, I collated a few of them. Um, so there's one from January 2015. It says, uh, I dreamt last night that Stan Kroenke sold the Emirates to fund the new stadium in LA and the team were forced to train in Finsbury Park where they would routinely get into fights with an American football team made up of barmen and other ne'er-do-wells who wanted to use the same space. Our home games took place in a tiny schoolyard and the crowd was all around the walls. It was like Mad Max because the opponents were being strangled by vociferous gooners until the league said we weren't allowed to play there anymore, so we disbanded the football club and became an import-export business, selling useless microchips to Scandinavia. <laughs> so here's one from April 2014. Says, last night I dreamt that I was a sub for the FA Cup final, which was being played on a mud bath of a pitch at the far end of a school playground. There seems to be a common theme in my dreams here tiny mm. schoolyard pitches. In the end, I didn't get on, but Nicholas Bentner did before he was immediately sent off for stabbing one of his own players because they deleted an Instagram selfie they took together just before the match. <laughs> I said, I don't know how it ended up, but I'm taking some comfort from the fact that I was at least dreaming about the FA Cup final, and I'm guessing that wasn't too far before the uh, the semi-final against, uh, against Wigan in 2014, so... Wow. So there you go. And Nicholas Bentner, who once, of course, <clears throat> headbutted Emmanuel Adebayor on the field, escalating things there by stabbing a teammate. Yeah. Or here's one for uh, Halloween from February 2013. Last night I dreamt that Arsenal's manager was an evil clown in full makeup who had a cutlass for a hand, and none of the people in the press conference would ask him any questions for fear that he'd behead them. This enraged him even more than being asked a question he didn't like, so he went on a frenzy, chopping and slicing and all kinds of stuff. The story never even made the papers. This was considered acceptable behavior. So there you go. <laughs> oh, God. I, my mind is very strange. Killing. Happy Halloween, guys. <laughs> yes, happy Halloween to you. And okay, we've got one more, given that it is Halloween. Um, this is the final question of the day. It comes from Rebel Alliance at Coffee and Cave uh, on Twitter. And he says, which team would be the best? Vampires, ghosts, werewolves, zombies, or killer clowns? Ooh. Right, well, ghosts, I mean, can ghosts kick the ball? I, I, don't, I don't even know. know. You'd need poltergeists, I guess. Yeah. Yeah, but again, we have this thing where they wouldn't be able to see each other, so... Unless yeah, I ghosts think would... can see each other, I don't know. They can in the film Ghost. Mm. Do you remember? He yeah. meets the guy on the tube and what have you. Oh, yeah, I, the, I think... yeah, the, yeah. 
Yeah, he teaches yeah. him to push stuff. Uh, right, well, that's ghosts. We come back to them. Werewolves, I mean, night games, they'd be good, but during the day... Pretty much, aren't they only werewolves at night? Yeah, but they're only werewolves when the full moon is out. So right, know, so they're just a team of blokes. A team of blokes, yeah, and vampires as well. I mean, fantastic. They're going to struggle with. Yeah, they're going to struggle with the three p.m. kickoffs. Yeah, exactly. I don't know how they feel about floodlights. I'm not. I'm not clear on that one. Mm. Um, dressing room and no mirrors for them. I, so I. So that leaves us with zombies, zombies or killer clans. I mean, it's hard to look past the killer clans. We know who's managing them as well. It's the guy from your dream, yeah, the, cutlass the cutlass hand yeah, man. that guy. Yeah. Um, so, and he's got experience at Arsenal. Do you know what I mean? So mm. there's obviously good strategic mind at the helm. I think zombies aren't going to be much cop. I mean, there's been times with this Arsenal squad, it's felt a bit like zombies with the injuries we've had. But Way. let's say, <laughs> let's say uh, ghosts, I think, could be good if they were very well attuned. You know, if they, mm. if they can see each other then it's all fine, but I'm going to go... But then killer clowns can't kill a ghost. But <laughs> well, they will be playing Spurs. The problem is... Ah, uh, I see, right, yeah. Eventually, you would run out of killer clowns because they'd be killing people, right? And that is sort of against the law. And it's illegal. a legal offence. Yeah, and yeah. ultimately, there would be a measure of corporate responsibility uh, that would have to come into play because the, the FA would say, look... Look, we know you're playing Tottenham, and we know your team is killer clowns. But like, could you keep the beheading to to a minimum? This is a you know we're, we're trying to get this product out there across the world. It's it's a bit gruesome. It's a bit gory. And Tottenham have got a game next week as well. They've got no players left now, and you you completely uh, destroyed Sunderland the week before. You you know so many deaths. What's good? Come on, stop. I mean- for obvious reasons, I would like to watch the Killer Clowns play Spurs, mm. but I suspect the the better team in the long run would be the Ghost team because yeah. let's not forget. I mean, it's a slightly morbid thought, but all the great players of the past can effectively sign for the Ghost team at a certain point in their life because you know when you're a Ghost, you're you at your prime, aren't you? Are you though? So, I'm a, yeah, I don't know. I, I, I'll be honest. I'm not an expert. <laughs> You'd like to think that was the case. Like, you know, the idea of, you know, uh, an afterlife and all that kind of stuff. We're getting into some heavy shit here. But the idea sure, that, sure. you know, that you go to heaven, for example, um, and what, you're, you're at your peak as an 18-year-old or a 25-year-old? Or are you not just up in heaven as the 87-year-old withered old man that died of, like, I don't know, gooch cancer? You know... Is that I, not I how you're not. in heaven? I, I, my favourite idea is that you get to choose. That's you know that would be good, wouldn't it? You could. Cho- what age would you choose given the chance? Um, probably like mid to late twenties. I oh, think. really? Yeah, no, or maybe now. I don't know. I don't know. That's a good answer. Yeah, I quite like now. Although I'd like to be younger and know that. You know, know all the stuff that I know now, but be slightly younger. But yeah, I don't know. Okay. This is a bit. This is a bit morbid now. Yeah, <laughs> you can tell it's the end of the podcast. <laughs> Basically, I think I think the Ghost Eleven will win. Okay. I'm sorry to say, old Cutlass Clown. I think they they they're promising, but as you say, you can't get away with that for long. Sooner no. or later, you're going to come a cropper. Ghost. 
Um, all right. Well, we're playing Ludogorets tomorrow night. We're also uh, playing Tottenham on Sunday. We've got a North London derby. We'll look ahead to that on the Arscast on Friday. Um, so until then, have a great one. Uh, have a very, very happy, scary, spooky Halloween, and we'll uh, we'll catch you next week.